This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Kripperson. On this episode of the podcast, we have Giacomo Zucco, and we're talking about RGB, Spectrum, and Storm. We recorded this episode at the Lightning Network Conference in Berlin. Inside of the detent truck that was provided by Pernelli Polis, we really appreciate that, as well as Fulmo that helped to make that a reality. Since we were borrowing their truck at the end of the day, we had a very limited amount of time to record. That's why this episode is so short. As well, the audio isn't the greatest because I had a very janky setup in order to make it work. So you can hear a lot of background noise and the mic wasn't very close to either me or Giacomo. But I think you're going to like the episode anyway. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to do a couple shout outs to some people that I met at the Lightning Network conference. This includes Elizabeth Stark from Lightning Labs, Jameson Lopp from CASA, Anchor from Bolts.Exchange, Pete and Pete from Bottle Pay, Tim from Paywall.Link, Will, Tom, and Harsha from Fold, Roy from Breeze Wallet, Rockstar Dev from BTC Pay Server, Michael Folkson that was running both the Socratic Seminar and the Project Showcase, Raw Avocado, that was very snarky and funny in person. Rene Picard for running his uh, Lightning Network workshop. Ken Kruger from Moon. And many other people that I'm forgetting right now. This was probably the most social that I've been in many years, concentrated into several days. Berlin is one of the most beautiful cities that I've ever been in in my entire life, and I would definitely recommend going if you ever get the chance. Like I said before, this episode is a lot shorter than normal, and the audio quality isn't that great. With that being said, this is the seventh episode of the Lightning Junkies Podcast, coming at your face. We are recording from the Lightning Conference in Berlin. Right now, I have Giacomo Zucco, and we're going to be talking about RGB. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Giacomo. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. All right. So I just kind of want to jump into things because we don't have a lot of time, kind of on a time crunch here. Uh, so I'm going to kind of skip over the kind of uh, usual stuff where you ask, you know, how did you get into Bitcoin and all that and kind of get, you know, more into the meat and potatoes and everything here. So could you kind of give me a very basic overview of what RGB kind of is here? Sure, basically RGB is a proposal for yet another asset protocol uh, on top of Bitcoin. So it's on top of Bitcoin uh, and not on top of shitcoins like Ethereum. It's a little bit more like uh, in this way counterparty on Omni. So it tries to reuse the, the good things that we can reuse from the existing standards and, and tools and best practices without reinventing the wheel. But unlike the typical uh, Bitcoin based uh, asset protocols like Omni and counterparty, it has a different architecture because, because uh, first of all, it's uh, based on the client-side validation idea by Peter Todd. So uh, you don't use the Bitcoin time chain polluting it with all the metadata for the assets. You just use it for avoiding double spending and that's all. Every other metadata about the asset, the signature of the transfer, everything, the issuance, everything will, will be moved off band. So you don't, you have zero time chain footprint on Bitcoin. You just use Bitcoin UTXOs to, uh, to prove that you don't double spend the asset and then you pass everything uh, off band. And the second characteristic of RGB is that it leverages very, very strongly Lightning Network. Uh, the, first of all, because uh, 
the idea is that if you can move the assets on top of the Lightning Network, that improves privacy and scalability of the asset system, and it may improve uh, privacy and scalability of the Lightning Network itself in some way that we may discuss. And the second idea is that the main problem with uh, the uh, client-side validation idea by, by Peter is that it's cool, it's great, but you need to stay to stay online on the time to receive in order to receive, and you need to back up all the off-chain data uh, by yourself, uh, the, the updated version, so it's quite complex from the UX point of view. And the nice thing is that all the challenges that you have in order to make a client-side validation protocol work, uh, work are the same that Lightning Network already have, but double, like uh, in Lightning Network you have to store the data of the channel, of course, but not only, you also have to store it privately because otherwise the other party can use it uh, against you. And you have to stay online to receive, but not only, you have to stay online to make sure that, at least sometimes, that, uh, that to make sure that nobody can try to breach the, the contract of the channel. So uh, if the Lightning Network can work, uh, and a client-side validation protocol can leverage all of the, the stuff that make Lightning Network work in order to work as well. So it's a, it's a very, uh, I would say it's a very uh, synchronous, uh, parallel, but uh, overlap project. Okay, got it. So um, I was watching your uh, kind of talk earlier, and not only did you mention RGB, but you, uh, you mentioned uh, Spectrum. Um, is there a, a difference between RGB and Spectrum, and if so, what it is it? Yeah, Spectrum is an evolution on the original uh, RGB idea, which is explicitly, uh, I mean, RGB can be, uh, can leverage the Lightning Network or not. You can send also a, an on-chain, let's say, transaction with, RG, with the RGB assets. So uh, even if you don't have a Lightning Network channel. But when you try to move assets on top of uh, Lightning Network channels with, uh, with the RGB compatibility with, uh, with Lightning Network, you face a problem. The problem is that uh, in order to route something, you need liquidity of the something. So if I, if I don't have a channel with Bob, but I have, I have a channel with Alice which has a channel with Bob, I can still route in order to pay with Lightning to Bob. With the assets, that's more complicated because now I need an asset-enabled channel with Bob and he needs an asset-enabled channel with Alice. So let's assume that, that that's not the case. Uh, but uh, let's assume that Bob has a normal uh, Lightning Network route through, uh, through, uh, through Carol that will have a, a, a asset uh, colored, let's say, channel through Bob. In that case, I basically can use Spectrum, which is an idea to, uh, is an idea, the idea of Spectrum is you turn the uh, Lightning Network daemon into a, tr a little trading bot, and uh, the trading bot uh, of the colored, uh, asset colored channel will receive a payment in asset conditioned uh, to, a, to a route of payment in Bitcoin that on the other end will be itself conditioned to another payment to the asset. So I can, uh, if you have a, let's say, uh, let's say USD Tether channel and I have a USD Tether channel on Spectrum, I can pay you using Lightning even if we don't have a liquidity uh, among us. So it's a little bit of a, a decentralized exchange idea, uh, even if the, the, the terminology decentralized exchange is a little bit uh, scammy these days, but, but that, that's what it is basically. Okay, got it. And so, and something else to kind of just touch on it very quickly is a storm that was mentioned. Uh, do you want to briefly uh, mention what that is? So Storm is another project uh, which uh, some of the people uh, working right now, so uh, 
before everything, uh, RGP is not a company, effort, it's not a product, it's not a startup. It's an open, it's a proposal originally by me and then uh, met by other people. So it's an open uh, non-profit proposal. And some of the people working on this proposal, namely Maxine that was presented with me, uh, was also working on other kind of uh, possible things on top of Lightning Network. Uh, Storm in particular is a, a storage, uh, decentralized storage protocol proposal which leverages uh, Lightning Network payments. So uh, and many people try to do decentralized storage like uh, StoreJ, MidSafe, Filecoin, uh, the, the, the things that they have in common is that unfortunately they created a scam coin and uh, which creates useless economic friction and makes uh, uh, everything uh, socially unscalable as well. So Storm is uh, the idea to take uh, yet another time, yet again this whole idea of decentralized storage but instead of doing that with a scam coin you do that with Lightning Network payments. So you have the Lightning Network layer and on top of that you have a layer in which you can exchange mess messages, generic, uh, generic messages and on top of that, you can basically pay people to uh, give you back uh, uh, chunks of your uh, encrypted, of course, uh, uh, files. So you can somehow, uh, somehow spread this around. This, uh, this kind of project has a double uh, possible interaction with uh, RGB. Uh, basically, uh, it, like RGB and like Spectrum in particular, it is a layer 3 protocol. So it will leverage Lightning Network. So it's similar in this way. What we need to do in order to make RGB and Spectrum work, uh, will also hopefully could also make Spectrum work, uh, Storm work. But there is another kind of uh, reverse relation. Uh, if we have Storm, like a, a way to storage uh, 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 data uh, in a decentralized way, then we can maybe leverage Storm for uh, watchtowers and RGB watchtowers as well. So we can leverage that in order to store your off-chain. Uh, and off-band data that you cannot store on your uh, private seed. Okay, got it. So, I, you know, earlier in your kind of uh, kind of introduction about RGB, you mentioned uh, Counterparty and Omni, um, and I'm sure you remember that like all kinds of uh, tokens and things were created on on those, and most of those ended up just being garbage that no one cared about. Um, do you think something similar is going to happen? Kind of. Uh, on top of these kind of layer three technologies that you're talking about, definitely. If it doesn't, it would be it would just be only because people is tired or maybe disillusioned of this kind of tokens. So uh, that's the only. But it's not the merit of the protocol. The protocol itself is, uh, I think, it's uh, optimal and interesting from a technological point of view, and uh, it may host scammy tokens as well as legit tokens. So it's not that the protocol makes uh, the uh, the economic union legit. For example, by myself, I'm very skeptical about token use cases in general. The few use, uh, uh, the, the reason I, I'm, I'm excited about RGB is mostly because it's an experiment to test this new uh, client-side validator architecture. So for me, it's mostly uh, R&D. The, 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 the only exception I will make to this general rule is that I'm quite uh, positive to the, uh, to the role of uh, stuff like uh, Tether on Bitcoin because I'm very, uh, uh, I'm very concerned by uh, KYC kind of, uh, of limitation. I mean, if we assume hyperbicalization, we have to assume that uh, wealth will have to move from US dollar mostly, or from other fiat shitcoins, 
to Bitcoin. In order to do that, you need uh, exchange. In order to exchange, uh, you have this kind of friction with KYC. You have things like BSQ, which are great, but they are very non-atomic. You have the Bitcoin part, which works fine, but then the dollar or euro fiat part works not so fine. It can work. I mean, I encourage everybody to try to use BSQ, uh, but it's still not perfect to serve a very huge liquidity. With something like Tether, I think that there is an interesting opportunity to uh, detach the, the trading part from the, uh, let's say, USD uh, vouch, in vouching uh, part, voucher part, which is still very, very, uh, it, will, it will still be under very strong regulatory pressure. So it's not that the regulators will not try to stop Tether. They are trying, they will try. But uh, this separation of rules between the trading that can, can be decentralized, for example, top of, of spectrum. So what I imagine is companies like Tether issuing this uh, representative of US dollar and then protocols like Spectrum where you can actually seamlessly and very easily exchange that for Bitcoin. And uh, eventually that can, can be very interesting. Another use case that is completely legitimate, even if not economically revolutionary, is the digital collectibles. So collectibles, so when you issue a token, the, the typical reaction by Bitcoin maximalism and myself is why do you ever use a decentralized protocol if you are issuing the token in a centralized way anyway? So if you are, uh, if you are uh, Starbucks issuing tokens for, for coffee, just, just use your Starbucks app, which is centralized and so probably more efficient. But in case of collectibles, Collectibles are particular goods that can survive and be traded when the original creator of the collectible is also disappeared, maybe uh, since many, many years. You can have like old uh, post stamps and stuff like that. So in the digital collectible, maybe use a protocol like uh, RGB because you can imagine an issuer creating these uh, digital artworks or something like uh, rare papers or, or something like that. And then the, the creator disappearing uh, anyway that and not, not having any kind of centralized service, you can still have people trading that. Of course, I don't expect that to be unlike the, 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 the people theorizing the token economy. I don't think that any of this would be as, as relevant as Bitcoin itself, of course. But uh, there are there are alleged use cases. Got it. So yeah, um, uh, I definitely heard about Bitfinex, you know, doing Tether, you know, uh, Voltaro doing their V-Gold thing. Yeah. Um, so do you think, you know, you already kind of touched on Tether, uh, do you think, you know, those sorts of things will generally have the most kind of use case and kind of go the further, or do you think it will be more of the collectibles like you mentioned? Uh, I think that uh, the, the most, if, if, if everything works fine, uh, and we can get uh, USD Tether and uh, Big Old and other kind of uh, fiat proxies on top of RGB in a, in a working way I think that the, they will have the most uh, evident effect in the, in the short medium term so collectible will be kind of irrelevant at the beginning and this kind of liquidity bridge between fiat and Bitcoin will have a, a huge relevance but in the long term I think uh, like uh, if you think 20 years I think the other the other way around would be, would be uh, the situation. So maybe some uh, when people will use Bitcoin for everything, maybe some collectibles on top of RGB will still be traded or used because why not? Uh, a niche part of the economy, but still a part of the economy. While this uh, bridge solution between uh, fiat and Bitcoin, uh, I mean, we don't need those after hyperbitcoinization. We need those before to facilitate uh, this tr this uh, transfer of wealth. Uh, Lim limiting the, the more that we can uh, KYC kind of a disruption. Okay, 
So I kind of want to move on to some possible uh, issues or downsides with these kind of layer three kind of technologies here. So uh, the other night I was at the kind of coding meetup for the uh, Lightning Conference and I was kind of bringing up, you know, layer three to other people to kind of see what they thought. And what someone brought up I thought was very interesting was the idea of if a particular asset or, you know, something on top of these layer three technologies were to become more valuable than Bitcoin, that it could create a perverse incentive. And uh, someone even referenced a uh, article by Nick Carter calling uh, it top heaviness. Do you have any particular opinion about, you know, possible, uh, you know, miners, you know, choosing to attack? You know, I, I don't know the technical part of it, but do you know any kind of uh, argument there? Yes, it's a, it's a good argument. I think it's a right argument. The, the, the fact that uh, asset protocols on top of Bitcoin may be incentive incompatible, it's actually a good argument. I think that uh, RGB, uh, this, is one, this was one of the first concerns that we were uh, always uh, trying to mitigate. I don't think RGB solves that entirely. I think it mitigates that seriously. Well, first of all, uh, in, in RGB, miners don't even know that some uh, transaction is an RGB transaction. So censorship because of this kind of extra Bitcoin economic incentives, incentives, um, incentives is kind of hard. Uh, that, that said, uh, you can have, for example, somebody telling miners that there, there is value there because for some reason. For, so you have Binance that, that gets hacked by uh, three uh, billion dollars, uh, and now they want to reverse the chain. Uh, when we you, when we talk about Bitcoin, uh, there is an economic uh, uh, parallel between uh, the the kind of uh, value that has been, uh, uh, for example, lost in a hack, and so the kind of value you want to get back, and the kind of opportunity cost in order to reverse the chain. While that may not be true in RGB, so it's a, it's a I think that it's it mitigates partially the situation, but doesn't solve it completely. Uh, so the, the other thing is that uh, um, uh, spectrum transactions will, will be even more private because not only you will not see the off-band part of the metadata, but you will not even, uh, even see any transaction at all. I mean, miners cannot reverse lighting transactions. They can try to reverse lighting settlement, for example, or closure. So I don't think that this concern should be dismissed. Uh, I think that anyway, uh, what we are doing is basically permissionless. So if it can be built, it will be built if it's possible. So we try to build it in a more responsible way possible uh, in order to minimize this kind of concern. But we should not uh, dismiss these concerns at all. Okay, got it. Do you see any other kind of big uh, reasons to be skeptical of RGB spectrum, etc.? Yeah, uh, the presentation today, the part of the presentation that Maxim was uh, was carrying out was mostly uh, about the fact that uh, uh, saying layer 3 is a thing and doing layer 3 is another thing because, uh, uh, I mean, uh, layer 1 is, at this point, it will go over some transformation yet, like Schnorr, I hope, but it's kind of stable at this point and it's getting more and more stable, while layer 2 itself is not a very steady foundation for layer 3 yet because when we try to, 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 to assume some light network architecture in order to do spectrum and stuff like that, it basically changes uh, under our feet uh, c continuously over the months, one month to the other, and it's going to, 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 to get even more fast and it's, you know, it's fast and reckless. So uh, building this kind of stuff, I think it makes sense. Uh, this kind of stuff doesn't make sense directly on Bitcoin for many, many reasons. It does make way more sense on top of layer two, uh, but that said, uh, it will start to really become usable when layer two itself will become 
more stabilized and it's still very very early on. Also the way the Lightning Network has been, as Maxim explained, the way the Lightning Network has been built with the Bolt specification effort, which is something great. I mean, the fact that many implementations started to try to be compatible with the standard was great, but the specification uh, were not really built in a very ordered way. They, they, as many spontaneous order phenomenon, uh, the, 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 the spontaneous order is very anti-fragile, but it's not very efficient and not very uh, clean in uh, in its uh, in, in its uh, geometry. So if you look at the uh, at the light network layers right now and uh, of layers of layer three solutions on top of that, and you try to put the bold specification matching with them, you will see that some are horizontal, some are vertical, some are di di diagonal, uh, some are completely missing. Some parts are not even really specified or are underspecified. So. Uh, it would be hard. I think that uh, a minimal viable product uh, can be done in reasonable times, but uh, it may be not very routable, not very interoperable. So the, the doing what I described in a really standard, global, scalable way may prove very, very slow and very, very difficult. Doing something usable, I mean, having, a, again, US detector on top of Spectrum uh, in a reasonable amount of months uh, across uh, nodes which are compatible with that kind of implementation, it's probably feasible. Having a full uh, spectrum versus Bitcoin market uh, uh, with interoperability across uh, different Lightning nodes, that may be challenging. Having situation like Storm or, or uh, distributed computation paid in Lightning, that will probably take even more time. So, how long do you think you know all this might end up taking if everything kind of goes well? Two weeks, of course. Oh, of course. Okay, <laughs> got it. Uh, okay, so I kind of want to go kind of more broad and kind of take a small step back from uh, layer three here. Do you think that there are any particular reasons to be skeptical of the Lightning Network, it kind of more generally? It's not really skeptical, but maybe manage expectations for sure. For example, uh, while the, the idea of a channel is a very sound idea of technology at this point, the idea of writing uh, is a hack and uh, is still a hack. HDLC routing is a hack. If you ch if you switch from uh, from hashes to uh, uh, elliptic curve points, it may be made better for several reasons. Uh, but still, uh, routing is not uh, super easy to, uh, to to have. And also, we can have some situation of a divergence of protocol that creates some incompatibility. Uh, as I, as I said before. Uh, Lightning Network specification is underspecified, and right now there are some things that have been. I mean, Eclair is accepting double invoice, double paid invoices, uh, which uh, Lightning Network is accepting, but uh, uh, LND is uh, is accepting but not doing, and C Lightning is refusing. So there is some kind of complexity there. So I think that there are reasons to be uh, to to manage expectations. Uh, we have seen today during the conference a lot of uh, uh, debunking of uh, easy myths about Lightning Network privacy. Lightning Network is better for privacy in, in the general sense that uh, putting everything in global consensus forever is very bad for privacy. But it's not the magic. Uh, it's not a magic uh, dust that you can just uh, put on top of your node and it becomes private. It's still super messy because now you have network level concerns. You still have man in the middle and intermediary attacks. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, it's a work in progress. What is good is that you can screw up the Lightning Network, 
is not a problem. If we screw up the Latin network, we just build another Latin network. I don't think that's the case. I think that the Latin network which exists now will be uh, smoothly made interoperable with L2 and other stuff. But even if it's the case that we screw up badly in Latin network, we can burn it down and build it again. Not the same with Bitcoin, where you have to re-bootstrap an entire economy with something like monetary efforts that are so hard to build and so hard to, uh, to, 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 to switch, to, to migrate to something else. Got it. So let's kind of go on the other side. Is there anything that makes you excited about the Lightning Network? Well, sure. Uh, everything that already works. I mean, finally, uh, I don't think that Bitcoin uh, is important right now for small payments because small payments, uh, being small, uh, small, fast and repetitive payments, being small, fast and repetitive can tolerate a lot of counterparty risk. So if you want censorship resistance on a, on a small, uh, repeated and fast payment, you probably can route a, a, around censorship somehow. Bitcoin was especially needed as a foundation for a monetary system which was censorship resistant. So it was more an alternative to e-gold and an alternative, a way to pay for WikiLeaks. It was something more important than small payments. But uh, even knowing this, a lot of people were anyway, I mean, small repeated uh, fast payments are a way to demonstrate the technology, are a, a nice way uh, from a social point of view to experiment and play with the protocol. So back then when you could uh, pretend to send Bitcoin very fast to your friend at zero cost, it was not true because like zero confirmation was never safe and small costs were just paid, was just uh, apparent small cost because the high costs were paid by the holder with inflation. So nothing is free. But the, the illusion to, to be able to be uh, random, casual, small, fast payments was very instrumental to the uh, cultural the, the diffusion of the protocol. So it's great to have that back. Uh, for example, I, I, don't, I try not to pay with Bitcoin if I can pay with fiat, of course. But when I do want to pay with Bitcoin, for example, for social reasons, because I am at the Lighting Conference, or for, uh, for example, for uh, legal reasons, because uh, uh, Paranipolis doesn't accept fiat, because uh, the entire structure is created in a way that is not fiat dependent, so I have to, to use Bitcoin, and uh, or because I want to pay for my VPN, and I really don't like the VPN to know my name on the credit card. In all these cases, uh, I'm grateful that I finally can uh, have a better experience, user experience for small payments and fast payments as well. So the Lightning Network was created mostly for this, and it kind of worked for this. Of course it can work, uh, then we charged this with a lot of further expectations about layer 3 and super privacy, yeah of course. Uh, but the things that Lightning Network already does is, uh, is, is already not. And also as, as I told in my, in my speech at the uh, Fulmo uh, Hack Days in Munich, uh, what what is very exciting about the Latin network is that since you can mess it up because we are layer two and we can mess up, we, you bring back some of that experimental spirit that in Bitcoin you couldn't responsibly uh, use anymore because in Bitcoin you have to be safe, uh, critically, uh, I mean uh, adversarial thinking, uh, safety critical, uh, conservative. Uh, in Lightning you can be reckless because it's a layer two, small amounts. And so you can mess up. Got it. Okay, so um, let's just kind of talk about the Lightning Network Conference here. We're kind of running out of time. Uh, were there any uh, talks that you know uh, you really, really liked that you really kind of learned a lot about? Uh, well, uh, there is uh, the, the talk by Rusty Russell uh, about uh, an, a kind of new possibilities for uh, invoice requests and stuff like that. It really made me think about uh, 
uh, new possibilities using this protocol. Uh, the, the talk by Christian Decker about uh, analytics uh, was very, very interesting. The talks today about uh, privacy, there were a couple of talks about privacy that were very uh, interesting and also very realistic and also uh, maybe debunking some, uh, some uh, naive expectations. And uh, then there, I mean, a lot of stuff really, but not just the talks, also the workshops, the uh, BTC Pay workshop, uh, the, uh, all the things that builders are building on the second floor, so uh, machine for uh, uh, lightning, lightning network payments of uh, drinks uh, or whatever, actually. Absolutely. So um, we're, we're going to be kind of wrapping up here probably, but what do you see as being the kind of optimistic view of kind of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network generally? Where do you see us going? So I think that uh, the Lightning Network, uh, uh, th this conference was very important because the Lightning Network being layer two and being in a, in a way less conditioned by global consensus uh, was also going uh, through a route in which a different implementation were kind of starting not really talking uh, together very nicely. So having this kind of uh, uh, this kind of uh, um, oh I forgot to mention before the, the the presentation by Electrum of the new Electrum implementation. So we have another one in Python, and also there was a Eclair Async presenting the new Eclair alternative uh, Phoenix. So. Well, we talk a lot about C Lightning and about LND, but now we have C Lightning, LND, and uh, all the work by by Matt Corral and others about the Rust uh, Lightning libraries. And now we have Electrum, uh, and now we have uh, also possibly something else. So um, all these implementations uh, with this kind of conference, they may start to make some more effort in order to stay more standard. And so my expectation for the future is that uh, this goes on and uh, possibly we can screw up but possibly we don't and this light network we have now can become the foundations for even more complex and, uh, and, and flexible use cases uh, let's say uh, I, there was a phase in Bitcoin in which everybody was dreaming about everything crazy like uh, the, the centralized organization then there was the f and I was in that phase as well I was a shitcoiner in 2013 then you get to the phase of realism in which you, you learn what can work and what cannot and you, you clean up from uh, also because many scammers will leverage dreams in order to sell uh, to sell uh, um, snake oil so you have to, to clean out the situation from all these uh, noise but now uh, with, if the Latin network evolves as it seems it may you can get back some of that uh, uh, more imaginific, more visionary expectation of uh, new cool stuff to build. Okay, so and the last question I have for you is uh, you began your talk today by saying you're no longer a toxic maximalist. Is this true? Yeah, it was mostly a joke about my Tokyo Riga. I don't know how long I will pull it off. Uh, basically, uh, since uh, my talk about uh, Bitcoin maximalism in uh, Bitcoin uh, Baltic, uh, sorry, Baltic on Badger 2018 created a lot of drama and outrage, uh, this year, uh, as a joke, I created, I, I did a pro shitcoin talk. I also took off my Bitcoin maximalism shirt, and there was a rainbow, rainbow unicorn shirt underneath. So I changed my profile. Uh, peak and uh, and uh, header and I don't know how long it is it will go but now it's funny what I noticed that scammers get triggered even more if I pretend to be uh, a pro shitcoin guy now so it, 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 it's funny in a way but uh, but probably I will get back to toxicity so 
Alright, sounds good. Well, we're kind of out of time here, so I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast, Giacomo. Same. Thank you for having me here. Boom. That was the seventh episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. I definitely learned a lot from Giacomo, and I hope you did too. If you did take something away from this episode, I would highly recommend that you subscribe and or donate to the crowdfunding campaign at crowdfund.lightningjunkies.net, btl.2 forward slash at lnjunkies, and tipping.me forward slash at lnjunkies. In the first few episodes of the podcast, I put out the stand that I was not going to accept sponsorship. But with some feedback from my audience, I have started to reconsider this position. If a sponsor wants to reach out and sponsor this podcast and you know make it so I can keep making it going forward, you can reach out to me at chaz at lightningjunkies.net. For now, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode, but I'll see you on the lightning minute.